Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I'm really excited for my guest today, which is Mark Corvin, the one and only. You might know Mark from scoring films like The Witch and The Lighthouse, both of which are absolutely fantastic, and his signature instrument, the Apprehension Engine, this little box that creates such horrible, horrible sounds. Mark joins me today to talk about his latest film score, which is for the new Resident Evil film, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. So we go a bit in depth into that film, talk about The Witch in the Lighthouse, a few of his other projects, and a load of other things. Mark also has an announcement that sometime in the next few months there will be a 25th anniversary edition of his score for Cube, which, to my knowledge, never actually got a full release previously. And that's one of those classic cult horror films that kind of put Mark on the map for a little while. This is also a really exciting interview for me because Mark is one of the composers that actually got me interested in film music. I loved his score for The Witch, and that helped push me on this path in general. Of course, I waited until after the interview to tell him that because I thought mentioning it beforehand might be uh, a little awkward. But of course, he was appreciative. I've got another great interview coming up next week, another big one. So after you listen to this, stay tuned for that. But sit back and enjoy. Mark, I'm so glad you could join me today. How have you been? I've been quite well, thanks. Great. I'm sure you've been uh, quite busy with your new film releasing two or three days ago at this point. Yeah, yeah, it was released on, on Wednesday, and uh, I have another release coming up in February, which I can't name, unfortunately, and I'm working on a series at the moment, which I can't name either, so <laughs> sorry, <laughs> not a font of information here, I'm afraid. Uh, you know what, I've, unfortunately, I've gotten used to it, but at least that lets us all keep our eyes and ears open to see what else you're coming out with. Cool. With the latest film, the new Resident Evil film, how did you, how did you get involved with that? Uh, well, like most things, it's uh, my my agent calls me up and say, we've got this this film, they're interested in you. Would you like to take a look and do some demos or whatever? And so that's a property that has, gosh, I think six prior films and who knows how many games. Yeah. So for you coming into it, did you have a, a familiarity with those or was there any sort of impetus to look at that broad back catalog when you began writing? Well, actually, yeah, I, um, when I was looking at this, at this gig, I checked out a few of the other Resident Evils and I thought, man, I'm, I'm just not right for this because, uh, you know, I don't write music like this. It's just not my, my bag. So I, I turned it down basically. I, like I didn't, cause I didn't think I was right for it. Uh, because I think, you know, for the good of any project, they should get the, you know, the, the most appropriate composer they can find. I just, I don't want to get involved with something just to get the job, you know, and, yeah. and try to come up with something that might be appropriate. They should just go for the appropriate person. But after talking to the director, he said, no, we're not really looking for that. We, we really want to uh, give the music a really different spin. So I thought, oh, okay, well, they want more what, what I'm doing. So sure, that's, that's great. And then so after that, then what were some of the conversations you had with the director, Johannes Roberts? Uh, to be honest, we, we didn't get off to the best start be, because there, you know, it's a bit of a miscommunication on, on what, they were, what they were looking for because uh, they had uh, used a lot of temp score in the, in the film. So I thought, okay, well, if experience uh, holds any credence at all, 
if they have temp score in there, they tend to like it and, they, and they're going to want to go for that. So I steered my music more towards the temp score, which uh, Johannes did, did not like at all. He did, did not like what I was doing. So I, I, so I thought, oh man, this is, I don't think this is, this is going to work out really. And I thought, okay, well, tell you what, give me carte blanche. I'll write you a couple of cues and just do what I would usually do for something like this. And, and without thinking of anyone, anyone else's uh, values and judgments as far as uh, what the music should be. I'll just, I'll just completely go for it on my own. So that's what I did. I wrote a couple of cues and, and Johannes heard it and he thought, yeah, no, this is great. That's, that's what we want. That's so funny. And does that partially come from, or that miscommunication partially come from just the relationship or maybe lack thereof with a director? Because I know with, uh, with some of your prior collaborations with Robert Eggers, he uses a temp and you uh, more so lean into that. And obviously it's come out with fantastic results. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different with, uh, with Rob Eggers because um, when he gives you the, the temp score, you know, that he's, he's thought about that for the last three years <laughs> <laughs> and he's been listening to it. it. He just researches everything to the nth degree. So I know that this is kind of what he's looking for. So my job from then is to, uh, you know, first do something similar to the temp score and then lift it beyond that. That's my job with, with, with Rob. Uh, like, for example, with the with the witch, you know, I'd start doing something similar to what he had. But then I thought, well, you know, we should really bring try bringing in a choir here, you know. So it took a little persuasion to get us to add the choir into the score. But uh, often I start with the temp score because usually the director is married to it. Mm-hmm. So I start with that general feeling. And then once they go, OK, this is kind of OK, what you're doing. And then at that point, I go, OK, now we got to lift it. Now we got to move it into uh, our own thing and make it an original thing. So here, obviously, you you eventually found out you didn't have that restraint. When when you have that sort of freedom, what's your first step? Knowing that you can kind of be unrestrained and not necessarily do whatever you want, but not have uh, those types of pre-existing constraints on you. Well, actually, it's it's really great because really the only direction I got from Johannes is go for it, be weirder, be stranger, <laughs> be out there. You know, just go for it, three hundred percent. Uh, which is the kind of direction I love. So it was it was a really good experience that way. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, and as a listener, and as someone who prior to ever listening to film music, I just loved all sorts of weird things. And in some ways, the weirder, the better. It's it's so refreshing because a lot of times you get the opposite in, in film music where it's constantly raining things in. Yeah, yeah. My whole career has been like that, you know, where I really feel reined in, you know, that I'm a bit too weird. Well, we got to pull that back, Corvin. We got to make that a little bit more normal. So it's, it's nice to have the opposite. Does it surprise you that even though you had some restraints on The Witch and The Lighthouse, that your music is actually quite popular? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, it's funny with the, um, for example, for the, the Witch and The Lighthouse, if left to my own devices, I probably would have done a, a very different score. Hmm. But, uh, but you know, my approach was like, okay, obviously Eggers knows what he's doing here. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow his guidance on this and just, and just go for what he wants. But, you know, he knows, I mean, he's a really smart guy and uh, he's a really un- uncompromising individual and he wanted the music to be really un- uncompromising at all. So he didn't want anything at all harmonically pleasing or melodic or anything like that. You just forget that just went out the window. 
Whereas my tendency would have been to add a little bit more of that, a little bit more harmonic progression throughout the score, maybe a melody now and then, you know, but, uh, uh, but he was right. He was right. And it, and it really, um, uh, it made this, those scores stand out, I think, because it was, they were uncompromising. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think with those as well, it, it helps just having some of the period instruments, even if they're like for the witch, you're not using instruments that are around in the you know 17th century New England, but no. using uh, more unconventional period instruments. And then obviously some of your own musical creations as well automatically lends a sonic palette that you, you hear and go, hmm, this is just a little different from what we hear. Yeah, the, the idea was to uh, to not try to capture the, uh, like for the witch, to not try to capture the, the time and the place at all. Uh, but the, the idea was for the music to sort of feel that way emotionally, you know, sort of take you back to that period. But, you know, it's got nothing to do with any composers from that period at all, you know. But, but the, the timbre and the sounds of the instruments, they sound archaic and old. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes across and, and obviously, uh, basically, no listeners are going to have an education in the actual period and regional specific instruments. So you can cheat a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but on the flip side, you know, with, with Resident Evil, you hear a lot of very different instrumentation too. You know, it, it does have a lot of the unconventional discord that your scores seem to have broadly. But then there are, actually throughout quite a bit, there's like a, a childlike lullaby chorus. There's more synth and electronics throughout. I mean, is that something that feels a little more natural to you when you don't have the restraints or because it's a very modern film that just feel more appropriate? Uh, it was more about appropriateness, really, because, uh, you know, you have to uh, you have to pay attention to uh, the fact that it's part of a franchise because right from the start, you know that because it's um, trying to bring the uh, this film back to, uh, you know, the video games and, and what people liked about their, those original games. You can't ignore that altogether because right out of the gate, there's probably a lot of listeners that are going to hear the score I've done and, uh, and think, oh boy, that's, that's not at all like the games. This is, no, we don't want this. We, you know, we want that traditional Resident Evil video game sort of music, you know. We want to be taken back to that, you know, when we first played the game or whatever. So I knew that that, that will probably disappoint a lot of people. But uh, I didn't want to go straight too far from that. So I did want some, some electronics and, and that in it. But, uh, you know, it still very much has, uh, has my stamp on it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you create a lot of your own instruments as well. What yeah. are some of the musical or instrumental combinations that you used in the score? Well, I used a little bit of the, uh, the apprehension engine which is a, a device that uh, I had built for me. It's basically a, uh, uh, it, it's almost like the musical version of a Foley machine, you know, sound effects in movies, but it's all in one box. So it's got a, it's got a, like a hurdy-gurdy wheel on it. And it has a, a couple of, uh, uh, you know, guitar strings that I play with an Ebo, like a, which is a, it's a, it's a little magnetic device that you hold that sustains the strings. And that goes through a fuzz box. And then I have a spring reverb unit that I bang and I also play with the Ebo and then I have a couple of rods that I bow with the violin bow, just all a collection of all weird and nasty uh, sounds that I like to pull out on, on occasion. So that's, that's one of the instruments that I used on the score. 
Yeah, and I, I find that so fascinating. I've watched, over the years, I've watched some videos of you playing it, and it's just, in, in one sense, it's kind of unassuming because it's, you know, like a boxer table with all these weird devices on it, and then it just creates this, in a good way, just horrible music and sounds. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I just recommend to anyone checking some of those out. And I actually didn't realize that uh, a few years ago you had, you had toured with the, with the Apprehension Engine a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I I did. Uh, yeah, I played um, uh, like New York and Chicago, and went over to the uh, the UK. They want me to come to Finland now. <laughs> really, for, for a concert. Uh, you know, once once COVID is is yeah. is done, you know. So yeah, no, that's been a lot of fun. A real challenge trying to tour with that instrument though, because it's uh, put together with you know band aids and elastics, and <laughs> it's not. It's not like pulling a, a guitar out of a case, you know. It's a real event to try to set this thing up for each each show, but it's it's a lot of fun. It is a bit unusual having those very specific instruments built. I know a few other composers have similar things. I think um, like Charlie Clauser, who did a lot of who's done all the Saw films. I think yeah. yeah, he has several custom instruments too. But I think now you see a lot of composers and musicians doing found sounds and warping them or finding the strange sounds in the box, basically, in, in their computers. So what is it about having a very unique instrument that's appealing compared to some of those alternatives? Uh, I think it's it's all about surprise. It reminds me of some, it's something I was watching the other day. Uh, who was it? Who was the, uh, the artist I was listening to? Oh, sorry. It, it'll come to me later. But... Uh, but but the artist says that oh no I knew no it was Sting yeah he was okay. being inter- interviewed on Rick Beato's channel, and Rick Beato was asking about a bunch of questions about uh, about his his use of harmony and and you know unusual approaches to songwriting and stuff like that, and and Sting just sort of cut through all that and he, and he said you know it's it's all about surprise if I'm listening to a song and ten seconds into it I'm surprised I'm going to listen to the song. But if I'm not surprised, I'm bored. So that's that's something he always thinks about when he writes a song. I have to surprise the listener within the first part of the song, so they, you know, they don't know uh, what's coming. And I think I think uh, I'm the same. That's that's my approach is is very similar because uh, I get bored very easily. So I I always have to keep myself interested. And uh, I think my my worst nightmare is boring people. Uh, listening to my music so you know i always want to keep it uh interesting did i answer your question or not i'm not sure if i did yeah you did okay good <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh, no problem and, and hopefully i i keep you interested enough uh so you don't get bored through the rest of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> so do you ever wonder then or you know, do you ever have the fear of depending on the project you're working on not having that ability to surprise the listener or the viewer yeah, sometimes that can be. Uh, it's not. It's not so much of a problem with uh, with the horror scores that I've done since The Witch. That's when I sort of became the horror guy. Was after The Witch, but before that, I would tend to insert sort of weirder stuff into the scores, and sometimes that would just get dropped because it was just too weird. So yeah, that that would that would happen on on occasion. But it's not a problem with horror because uh, there's so much more uh, creative freedom. Uh, in horror and I think that's a big appeal to me that I can just be as weird as I want often. I've heard that from different composers and obviously I've I've heard it listening to horror scores. Those tend to be the scores that surprise me the most. But 
What do you think it is about the genre that has that extra creative freedom and that draws in those people who want to push boundaries a bit? I think it's the, um, I mean, the subjects of, of horror films, uh, they're, they're much more um, primal. Horror films conjure this, this feeling for us as, as viewers that we're a wild animal and that we're, we're being chased or attacked by another animal. It's very primal. And it brings out, or what seems appropriate is, is more of a, the primal nature in the score. So it's more in your face. It's it's more you know more dynamic, more distant, more you know angrier, and it's it's you know two creatures sort of attacking and and fighting. A lot of those sounds, you know, it's like screams and roars and things like that. So, yeah, it's just appropriate for for the genre. And is that what draws you to it too? Uh, not so much. Uh, <laughs> what what draws me to it is is that I it's in, it's interesting for me. You know, I like I like new sounds. Uh, whether or not they're, uh, you know, horrifying sounds or really ethereal and beautiful sounds that I've never heard before. So, no, it certainly doesn't have to be horror for me because I'm not really, um, I wouldn't really call myself a horror fan. Like I don't watch horror films nonstop. I watch them on occasion, but only only good ones. I just like love good movies. You know, I'll, like I watch, I watch like a Fred Astaire musical. I mean, I, you know, I like all kinds of movies. Like I like all kinds of of music you know we will watch the sound of music every christmas and 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 love it you know so no it's all it's not all about horror for me that's funny and i had read elsewhere that you actually quite like more beautiful melodic music and that you have a, a jazz background as well you know is there any part in the back of your mind that has a desire to compose some scores that are more in that direction yeah yeah i think so because a lot of horror films can, you know, there's a certain sameness to a lot of horror films and uh, that can be a little bit boring. And like I say, I like to be interested. So um, yeah, I, occasionally I like to, I like to get back to something that is a little bit more melodic and harmonic. Like for example, the series I'm working on is a sci-fi series. So there's a little bit more of a harmonic thing going on, which is, which is a nice change for me because then I can go back to horror and I can, I can be refreshed. You know, I've got that out of my system for a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's actually, there was a track in the Resident Evil score, I think it's called The Crow, that has some melodic aspects and it's much gentler and calmer for 30 or 45 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Listening to it, it very much lulls you and then you pull the rug out from under the listener and just batter them all over again <laughs> yeah battering that's that's my job but that that was kind of a surprise to me because like you mentioned in the witch in the lighthouse there was less room for for melody and for those gentler moments so it's funny that something that in in other situations could be more conventional ends up being one of the surprising moments yeah yeah no it's it's true i i uh I remember when I was working on the witch score, uh, there was a moment where where I really wanted to go, like the only time in the score where I really wanted to be a little bit more expressive emotionally or more more empathetic to the the character. So that was kind of a hard sell with uh, with Rob Eggers, but uh, but I got it through. <laughs> <laughs> so in in a film like Resident Evil, there's there's several main characters. A lot of them are iconic through the movies and uh, particularly through the games and you know we have this romantic musical structures that 
very much pull in like the idea of having themes for various characters. Is there any part of you that you know has the has the desire to carry on with that or not really? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, the only the only real theme we had, I think, in Resident Evil was that crow theme mm-hmm. that we we brought back throughout the throughout the score. But the rest of it was more sort of a go for it, you know, just go for the moment. And so with that, with with going forward, we've talked about the freedom that you had. Did you ever reach a point where you went too far and had to start pulling it back? No, not not really. Whenever I just went for it totally, he was he was like, "This is great, love it." You know, it wasn't it wasn't a difficult score in in that in that way. So it was uh, it was great. Oh, that's funny. You know, there's composers are going to listen to this and just be jealous because it seems like that's such an uncommon experience to to have that. I have to say that that's a very uncommon experience for me as well. Uh, it's extremely un- unusual where I can just I can just go for it like that. So at this point, you know, we've been talking really about you know, not just Resident Evil the last four or five years of your career, but I think it surprises people when, especially when when The Witch came out and you became at least a relatively big name in film score world, kind of overnight, for people to look you up and realize that Mark's been doing this for. 25 30 years did you have that idea that expectation in your head that you'd reach that moment of being a relatively mainstream name no i i i, I didn't really because uh, i'd been sort of doing the same thing for quite a few years before that like a lot of documentaries which i was i enjoyed i enjoyed doing the work but i was getting just a little bit tired of it because I, I just wanted to do something a bit more out there and a bit more expressive so when the witch you know, fell into my lap that, well, it didn't really fall into my lap. But when I, when I got the gig, that was a huge, huge change for me. Uh, the only two other successes I've had in my, in my career was the very first film I did, uh, which was, uh, you know, a sort of a quirky, quirky sort of uh, comedy, I guess you would, you would call it uh, like an indie, indie comedy called I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. And it was the first thing I ever did. And I, you know, I wrote it, I think on a, like a cassette four track, <laughs> And and a little Korg synthesizer, and that was my that was that was the score. Uh, but it, next thing you know, it wound up going to the Cannes Film Festival, and I, and it won an award there and stuff. And it's like whoa. And then I didn't really get anything after after that. But it it really whetted my appetite for uh, wow, you know, film scoring can be really cool. So, and I starred for many years after that, and I had another hit in about uh, 1997, I think it was, with with my first horror film called The Cube, and that did really well. And then I just, I went back to a lot of series stuff and, uh, you know, feature films. Uh, none, of, none of it was really horror until, until The Witch came along. That sort of changed everything for me as far as my profile as a, as a composer, because uh, the film did quite well. I think that's what, one of the really interesting things about it is people then started revisiting Cube, having very little idea that the music was by the same guy. Yeah, I definitely did that. I'd seen that film years ago and then watched it again in, I don't know, 2017 or 18 and and then found that you have the you have an EP basically of uh, of some of the music from the film. I think it's maybe 10 or so minutes. Oh, and by the way, the um, what is it? It's the 20, 20, 23, uh, 20, sorry, 25th anniversary uh, is coming up for the film. And I got approached about doing a vinyl release mm. for for Cube. So um so yeah, there 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 will be a vinyl record for that for that score coming out probably in the next six months or so. So that's exciting. Oh, that is, and and honestly, that was something that I was going to ask of whether 
because there's been more interest in it from your recent successes, there was going to be a, a broader release and you beat me to the punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that something that's important for you? Because a lot of your free support high profile films you've worked on have had digital and or physical releases, but not all of them have. You did the second season of The Terror, which as far as I know, didn't have a, a music release. The same with um, In the Tall Grass, which came out a couple years ago. Does having the release of your music, you know, is that something that you push for or is it more incidental? I wish I would have pushed for In the Tall Grass, having released in that, because I really like that score. And, you know, once it does its run on Netflix, then it's sort of gone and people yeah. don't hear it uh, again. So I like to have releases so that people can go back and, and they can, you know, the music can live uh, a little bit longer, you know, and not be so disposable. I think that's why I like uh, releases. And does that feel even more acute with physical? Because, you know, if someone buys it and they have it on their shelf or something, it, there's always a reminder there. Whereas when it's, when it's in the digital world, it's, it's still off in the ether a little bit. Oh, no kidding. It's just a bunch of numbers in the ethernet. Yeah. So I guess the five-year anniversary of the tall grass has to be coming up soon. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But on that same note, is that something that you think about, about how disposable a lot of movies and music can be, or at least how quickly it seems like they can fade now from the, the public eye? Well, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is an issue because um, you hate to have just this, uh, basically your life's work disappear and have it only be about the money that you made on it. Mm-hmm. You know, because you want, you want to leave something for the kids. <laughs> you want to <laughs> leave some art out there for the kids. So it is important to me, you know, especially since, you know, I'm, I'm not doing, uh, you know, notated scores usually and there's there's not you know manuscripts that are floating around so people can look into that and stuff like i really don't do that much anymore at all so uh, so yeah it's it's about scores and like you say uh, particularly vinyl releases well and actually on that last point you know, saying that there aren't the manuscripts floating around what is the uh, the writing process that you do it's changed a lot like i i am a trained uh composer so i I know how to, you know, read and write music and I can do scores and, and all that. But uh, I think since, particularly since The Witch, my approach has been much more, um, much, much freer and more off the cuff and just instinctual, basically. So whatever pops into my head, I just start playing and I, and I look for those accidents and, and surprises. And whenever I find myself doing anything conventional, I try to unconventionalize it and do... Uh, uh, do my own thing with it. So um, it's a it's a very different approach. Like often, I don't even I don't even write to uh, click track. Hmm. I just play it in, even if it's something rhythmic. I, I just play it in, and then I'll then I'll I'll track it after that because I, I like the uh, I like how the music flows without having a metronomic uh, beat. You know, I, I think in a, in a way that that can kill the feel of a lot of music is that uh, metronomic beat that we've uh, lived with for the last 25, 30 years. I guess. Really? And why is that? I mean, does it just sound a little, or does it feel a little too precise or manufactured? It, it breathes more, you know, and it's more, uh, it's more human without a metronomic click. Uh, I remember someone on YouTube, I think it might've been, yeah, I think it was Rick Beato on, on YouTube. He took Led Zeppelin's song in the levy, uh, um, when the levy breaks, you know, that famous John Bonham beat. And he, uh, he fixed it. <laughs> he fixed that beat, you know, and he goes, you know, now, now listen to it. And, you know, you can, you can hear the difference, you know, when, when everything is like placed in mathematical 
uh, spots in the in the beat. You know, just the feel is just destroyed. And you know, when you hear someone like John Bonham play drums, you go, "What a groove!" You know, what a great feel, what great time he has. But it's not great metronomic time. It's all about the feel. So I guess uh, that's what I, I I really love. I love the music to to, to breathe and, and and flow and not be constricted to this artificial computerized view of what time should be. And, and that seems particularly relevant with just a, a lot of the, the style and the instruments that you use, where it isn't full of these grand melodies or something that when you listen, it's it does feel much more free form. So, yeah. you know, if you take take Resident Evil as an example, what was your composing and recording process like on that? I mean, did you just watch the film and improvise on instruments, both to get the sound and then to figure out what instruments and sounds you actually wanted to use? Uh, yeah, I would. I would uh, like like any other film. I would I would sketch it out, do like a bare bones uh, version, and then just add from there. I mean, you the ideal situation, of course, is like film scoring has has changed a lot because the you know, the ideal way you want to score is just do a really rough sketch, give it to the director, and the director goes, yeah, I like the direction of that. Uh, you know, just keep keep working on it. Uh, but you really can't do that anymore because the expectation is very, very different. So when you deliver a, you know, quote unquote sketch to the director, they expect it fully fleshed out. They expect it to sound like a, you know, symphony orchestra fully produced. And if it's not, it's like substandard for them, you know? So the expectations are very different these days. Does that ever get you into trouble where you spend a lot of time having this fully fleshed out, send it over and they go, Oh, we need something different and suddenly you've you've spent way more time exactly it's a real pain in the ass because <laughs> <laughs> you know you yeah you have to uh completely produce it up and and they might throw out the cube is that something that happens with regularity yeah it's, it's, it, it can be a regular thing these days i'm usually pretty lucky usually usually the score i i do is mostly approved if i have doubt about the direction sometimes sometimes i might do uh you know two maybe three sketches different sort of feels for the for the music and uh, that's if i have doubts i'll do that if if i don't have doubts then i won't do that because you don't want to give uh you don't want to give a director too many choices because that'll just confuse the whole process and it'll it'll also look like you don't know what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) with that i guess how do you find it best to communicate directors because a lot of directors most directors aren't musicians as well obviously a lot of them will have interests in music but it's still two different professions talking. So how do you guide that conversation in a way that's going to be best for you? It's really tricky because um, you're dealing with a wide variety of situations. So you can have a director who knows a lot about music and who uh, who can like ruin a score <laughs> because <laughs> they know a lot about music. Uh, or you can have uh, you know a director who knows nothing about music and it's great. Or he can ruin a score because he knows nothing about music. Or a director knows a ton about music and they're great and they give you carte blanche. You really have to, uh, I guess, find out uh, where they're at. Uh, what I do sometimes is where people, uh, like directors and producers, where sometimes they lack is being able to put adjectives on music and to describe the kind of music that they're, they're looking for. Like I live and breathe adjectives. So when I hear uh, ominous motion with a touch of melancholy, like I, you know, right away I can hear that in my head, right? 
and a lot of a lot of composers and directors they don't have that that language so they find it difficult to communicate with the uh, composer so what i have done in the past is uh you know if they say if they say well we want a really epic and i go epic you mean like this and i'll play some you know epic sort of music and they might go oh no no that's not what we mean by epic then okay you know you got a problem and you you got to figure out what they mean by epic or you have to uh you have to go this is epic like and i'll play that right and they go okay that's epic and this is melancholy okay got it and this is uh you know heavy motion right and this is ominous yeah got it you build up that, that uh, vocabulary so that you're speaking the same uh, language. So when they're giving you notes, they can go more ominous here, lighter, darker, whatever, because that's that's what I do. I, I take adjectives and I express it musically. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I can completely imagine having those very broad terms that don't have as much attached to them, like epic, hearing that and going, well, there are all sorts of things that that can mean. And yeah. it mudding the waters a bit yeah but so something that you said earlier as well talking about the music that you listen to the films you'd mentioned that you don't watch a ton of horror but you only watch good horror movies what are some of the ones that that you have watched recently that you've enjoyed or are some of the horror scores you've heard recently that you've enjoyed uh hereditary i i really enjoyed that a lot i also really liked uh it follows Initially, I didn't, uh, I didn't really get the score, but, you know, after I thought about it for a while, I thought, yeah, it's, it's kind of unusual and, it, and it's different and it's unexpected. Yeah, okay, I'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, 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 like to be, I like to be surprised, and those, and those two films uh, surprise me. I love both of those, both the films and, and the scores as well, so I'm right there with you. Yeah. Do you think it's harder to surprise you than it is to surprise most other people? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, because I have heard a lot of a lot of horror scores. That's that's a bit of a problem with um, with horror music because there's it's just filled with tropes, but it's also filled with uh, requirements, like things that you have to do uh, because you know it's got it's got to be scary. That's my job is to make the score scary. And there's there's certain things that you have to have. You know, you have to have those, you know, those high squeaky strings or whatever. You need that. So it's a it's a tricky balance between you know doing what's uh, what's what's required and and you know doing something very original and uh, and unexpected. Well, yeah, and I mean, for so many fil- so many horror films rely on or use jump scares, and often you have you have a musical stinger that hits right when the scare happens, and it's very common, but it's just a kind of a staple of the genre as well. Well, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to disappoint the audience. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have to meet their expectations and hopefully surprise them. That's that's my job. When you're working in in these tropes or in these requirements, how do you how do you strike that balance of meeting the audience's expectation, like you said, but in a way that they might not expect it? Yeah, well, that's that's a good way of putting it, because uh, I'm a real fan of uh, I love screenplay writing. Uh, and I actually I've been writing screenplays myself. And uh, that's what that's what people will say about the about the ending of films. You know, you give people what they want, but not how they expect it. And that's what I have to do uh, musically. I don't know. I, I I guess you know when it comes to uh, jump scares or something like that, it's it's all instinctual. So so if, if I play something jump scary and I go, no, I've I've heard that in too many films. I always look for a way that I can I can muck with that somehow and make it a little bit more uh, more strange and unexpected. Makes sense. So and then with with uh, films like Hereditary or It Follows that 
surprise you a little bit when you watch them or hear them? Do you ever go, oh, I wish I thought of that? Or or are you just excited that there's uh, something new and different out there? Oh, yeah. No, of course. I mean, uh, you know, certainly if, if, if there's something that surprised me, I, I'm going to go, yeah, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Um, I actually, really quick, because you mentioned it, I did want to ask, with your writing screenplays, what are you writing about? Well, honestly, horror screenplays. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm working on I'm working on my third one uh, right now, and it's uh, I, I I love it. I don't know if anything will ever happen with them, but uh, it's such a great creative challenge, and I love I love to have a challenge where it's not, for once, not tied to someone else's creative creative vision, because you you have to have that or you you go insane. Because if you if you spend your whole career uh, helping someone else's creative vision, helping them them attain that. Uh, then it's like, well, where are you in this? I mean, you know, you got to have something to, to express too. And I think that was one mot- motivation for creating the uh, apprehension engine because, you know, I'm doing my own thing here. I'm not scoring, do- not doing anything with it. I'm just, whatever comes out, that's me coming out, you know? And I think writing screenplays is, is, is the same thing for me. You know, this is my creative vision. And, and it's a way that I can stay sane uh, in this business. You know, I can, I can get it out there. But I mean, I guess in, in another sense, though, writing a screenplay, unless you're also directing your own screenplay, it then gets put out there and someone, an individual takes it, a studio takes it, and then they start messing with it and, and using it for a different creative vision, maybe. Yes, yes. No, of, of course, of course. Well, that's that's where they say that uh, when, when you write a script, you, you have to make it bulletproof. Because mm. the more bulletproof the script is, the less the less inclined they will be to uh, to change it. That's true. So, That's very true. Yeah, you gotta you gotta just do your best to make a perfect script. So they read it and they go, "I don't have any comments. This is great." And they hopefully they'll shoot it like that. So I guess on on the same idea of of staying sane and of creating things that are yours rather than furthering someone else's vision, you mentioned playing the apprehension engine and having that. But do you ever feel the internal push to create? solo releases eps albums that are just mark corvin's music i no i no i don't i think part of it is laziness because i'm so visually <laughs> oriented work, working as a film composer for the last gulp 33 years something like that that i really depend on visual images that way you know to to write with the exception of the apprehension engine which is which is mostly improv i'm okay with just improvising but as far as sitting down and actually writing pieces of music you know, I, I really need the visuals for uh, for inspiration. You know that, and I that that's that's my bad. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm just uh, I depend on that now. I've grown to depend on it. But I mean, you know, the someone like the Grateful Dead has released hundreds of albums. It feels like that you know, are largely improvisational. So you could always release your apprehension engine experimentations. Yeah, yeah, no, I could. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Mark, I think we're we're getting close to your deadline. So I just wanted to to thank you again for joining me for chatting about Resident Evil and your whole process influences everything. Oh, well, it's my pleasure, Nick. It was great talking with you. Excellent. And it's still relatively early on a Sunday, so enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too, Nick. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>